Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Cat's Pyjamas Conversations and I am delighted to welcome back um, our very first guest from our first episode um, of the podcast, Jane Galloway, who is founder of Quiet the Hive. Um, I know Jane uh, very well, we're co-collaborators and co-conspirators on various different projects and I've known you for some time. Uh, You did your first podcast with us around uh, the art of networking and why some of us find it really cringy and stressful Um, and you mentioned imposter syndrome um, at one point during that podcast so that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about today in terms of what is it but um, I'd just like to say welcome Jane and do you want to say a little bit more about you before we crack on with the conversation? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, The podcast I did with you seems an age ago now. Um, Very different times. And since then, I've um, launched my own podcast as well. So I've become more familiar with the format. Um, it was it was such a fun conversation, so I'm delighted to be back here. And as you said, I'm I'm the founder um, of Quiet the Hive, which is all about helping women identify a career and a life that they want, and then arming them with toolkit and confidence to go out and get it. So imposter syndrome absolutely falls under that because I think so many of us, um, women in particular. Uh, but so many people are impacted by the imposter syndrome and, and frozen a bit by it too. So it's great to have the opportunity to unpick some of that with you here. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being here, Jane. And I think we should just get down to the nitty gritty of it, really. So um, I often think at various different points in my professional uh, kind of life, in my working day, in my personal life, um, that I'm not doing something right, that somebody's judging me, that I'm going to epically fail at something. Why why would somebody want to listen to what I've got to say? And I think that's about imposter syndrome, but could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what actually is it when we talk about imposter imposter syndrome? What what are we talking about? Absolutely. So imposter syndrome, Carrie Ann, I'm really sorry. I'm just about to get going. My son has just come in because that's obviously right. it's locked down we're all together. I'm going to speak to you in just a bit, Max. Okay, I can't go now. Thank you. That's the joys of podcasting in the pandemic. I've I've stopped my partner doing some DIY because it was too noisy for podcast recording, and now the (laughs) now the neighbours outside doing something with stonework that's so noisy. So these are the things that happen in real life. Oh man, I feel really bad because he's he's only been to see me twice today. Once was in the middle of an exceedingly important meeting. Normally I would stop meetings and chat to him, but I couldn't. And then and then now that you've pressed record on the conversation, he comes in then. Bless oh, him. Good. It makes yes. it all real. It makes Poor little it all thing real. is going to feel really neglected. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I I have lots of visitors when I'm recording my podcast as well. Little little children popping up on the screen and having a little chat. So it's all very nice. It's all very real. Um. So imposter syndrome um absolutely what you say so the the best way i can think of to describe it is it's that feeling you get when you think oh my gosh someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say oh jane galloway no 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 we meant to offer this job to jane smith you're the wrong jane and it's that fear of being caught out um that fear of being found out as not very good and I think the, the, the biggest thing about imposter syndrome that we don't realise is that so many other people suffer from it as well. So there, there, are, there are quotes um, and conversations with people like Oprah Winfrey, um, Beyonce, um, Sheryl Sandberg, all of the people who you associate with real confidence, they have all spoken about how imposter syndrome or the inner critic or their lizard voice, there's all sorts of different terms for it. 
um, how that has impacted on them and, and their careers. You know, um, I, I recently read an interview with JLo who was talking about when she'd um, sold albums in the millions and she was still thinking to herself, well, why, why, is, why are people buying my albums? There, there must be something wrong. What's wrong with my albums? Why are people buying them? That's really strange. And, and so it, it affects all of us and even the most successful people who you see have a real confident air about them. The chances are at some point they have suffered with imposter syndrome. And it's interesting that you mention it's mostly associated with, or when we talk about it, we talk about it around women, um, yeah. women in business, successful women, you know, women who want to be more assertive or more confident, but perhaps aren't. But you did say it's, it's not just women. So is it something that cuts across everybody or is it a more kind of female focused uh, issue in terms of imposter syndrome? It does cut across lots and lots of people. I think that there is an issue, particularly in work with women. If you if you think about it, women have only really been fully in the workplace in the, in the last hundred years or so. You know, it was only really during the World Wars that women took up careers and ambitions that men usually fulfilled. You know, it was the role of the woman to stay at home to make a house. It's very unusual to have a, a woman with a career. So I think when you come to think about um, career and imposter syndrome, I, I think that actually there is a real significant um, challenge for women around that and about their place in the workplace. And it, it's, it's still really hard to be a woman in the workplace. And I speak to so many men who really suffer from imposter syndrome as well. So um, I have a, an informal mentor who is um, a, a man. I don't know why I paused when I said man then. It's not like I can't <laughs> think of the word for it. Um, but he talks to me about, you know, he, he quite often thinks I have no idea what I'm doing. And he's, he's a very senior um, manager and he will quite often admit to me that he, he has feelings of just having no clue what he's doing you would never guess that to look at him um, and I think the, the difference is that I think men perhaps don't talk about it but they also have more permission to try different things out um, so if a woman is assertive for example she's seen as aggressive um, if a woman is instructive she's seen as bossy and, and that doesn't impact on men as, as much. And there's, there's um, research to show that women can either be um, in the workplace, they can be seen as competent or they can be seen as likable, but they can't be seen as both things. So you can see how the odds are kind of stacked against us in some ways. But yeah, absolutely a male issue too, definitely. That's, that's really interesting. And some of what you've said about the workplace elements for women really resonate with me and absolutely those descriptions of how you know women are perceived a certain way that's different to men if they acted in the same way so definitely that like if you're assertive then you're just sort of an angry person with yep. a chip on your shoulder rather than being assertive um yes and I, and I have noticed and I don't know if there is any relation to imposter syndrome that I have worked with um female leaders who um, when they're in a position in a meeting, for example, their demeanour and the way they act changes quite a lot and they almost become more male in the way that they act if there is such a thing. So actually people who perhaps normally in one-to-one -one conversation wouldn't be that way, all of a sudden start acting a bit, you know, elbows out and 
and probably act out all of those things that would be described as being slightly aggressive and slightly bullish and slightly bossy and I, and I always find that quite intriguing and I don't know whether that's maybe a confidence thing that people feel they have to be like that to get their so opinion across. It's interesting isn't it because it, it could certainly be a confidence thing I think it's also um, it comes from the role modelling so if you think about who we traditionally see at the top of our organisations um, they, they do still tend to be men in a lot of industries and so obviously the um, behaviours you're going to be seeing role modelling, the behaviours that you see from the top are masculine behaviours because they, they are men and, and they are more likely to have masculine traits and also it's like I've just mentioned you know it's okay for a man to be um, slightly more assertive than a woman and so on and so forth. So women I think uh, replicate the traits they see at the top yeah. um, and I think that there is a certain uh, perhaps subliminal understanding that you can only occupy those positions at the very top of the hierarchy if you behave like a man because what we see is men in those places where you see women doing it well so if you think about Jacinda her, 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 uh, uh, there just Jacinda, thank you. I'm holding the two <laughs> words out together. If you think about Jacinda Ahern and you think about the kind of role model she is, you know, she talks specifically around people see her as or don't understand how she's got to the top without being aggressive. And, and you know, it's about allowing yourself to demonstrate those, those really feminine traits. And, and I'm, I'm stumbling over my words slightly because this isn't to say that men can't have these traits, but they are associated with women. When you think about compassion and care and listening skills and that certain sort of gentle, soft way of leading. And, and actually, if you, if you think about where we are at the moment, those are absolutely the qualities that we need to see in leadership. So I think it's becoming more apparent, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like when women pull up the, the um, career ladders behind them. So when, when a woman occupies a place at the top, quite often what you will find, or sometimes what you will find, is the sort of attitude of, well, it was hard for me to get here, so why should I make it easy for you? And mm. rather than breaking that glass ceiling or, or removing the sort of sticky carpet for other women, they make it hard because they think, well, I've had it hard, so why should you have it easy? Mm. And that's really sad, isn't it? Because actually, as I, I know it's cliched, but as we know, empowered women empower women. Yeah. So while we're on that point, it'd be helpful to explore a little bit more about imposter syndrome and, you know, or your inner critic or whichever term you want yeah. to use to describe it. And as you've said that, I've just, you know, thought of my own experience and it's kind of triggered feelings already in me because I've had um, a couple of different relationships throughout my professional career with people who um probably at the start have been really great supporters and great advocates and it was what you were saying about you know people pulling the ladder up that kind of triggered me to think about it as an example um but then for whatever reason at some point um it feels like the dynamic has perhaps shifted a little bit but actually having to interact with those individuals and put myself out there and be proud of what I've achieved or be really open about projects that I'm involved in brings these prickly feelings and these feelings of sort of anxiety and oh I'm, I'm not sure now whether I want to say that because I'm maybe concerned about how they might react and whether they might think that I'm good enough or you know why is Carrie Ann doing that what, what does she know about it why would anybody want to listen to a podcast that she's recorded about 
X, Y, Z, or whatever the example is, and it sort of bubbles up this weird sort of anxiety feeling. So is that an experience that people feel through imposter syndrome? And, and how do people identify that they're experiencing that sort of moment of, you know, that inner critic being on their shoulder? So absolutely what you've just said is pure inner critic or imposter syndrome. That that bit about why why would Carrie Ann be doing a podcast? What has she got of interest to say, sort of thing. That's totally, totally your inner critic. So I was having a conversation with my son the other day actually about so um he won't listen to this, so I'm going to I'm going to say it. Um, but and it reminded me of my <laughs> mum actually and the conversations she would have had with me and it never landed and now that I'm a mum I'm having similar conversations and, and <laughs> seeing ah oh, okay I get where you're coming from we were on the beach and he had long trousers on and I told him numerous times before we went down to the beach do you want to put your swimmers on just in case you want to play no no I don't want to play I don't want to play I just want to sit on the wall we got down there and obviously he wanted to go on the beach and I said well why don't you take your trousers off and just play in your pants. He said, because they're my pants. And I said, but they've got they've got sharks on. They just look like little swimmers. It'll be fine. He was like, mum, what will people think? My my son is nine. He's not far off him, but he is nine. And, and part of me thought, God, that's really, really sad that already you're thinking about what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I said to him, and this is what I was trying to explain to him, is we think people are thinking about us all the time. Actually, they're too busy thinking about themselves to be thinking about us. So that thing about um, the inner critic saying, what are people gonna think about you? What are they gonna say? They're they're not thinking about you. They're too busy worrying about what other people are thinking about them. So it's always their own inner critic. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, absolutely. So it's always worth kind of thinking of that, but it is, it is quite hard, isn't it? Because you, you do worry about what other people think of you. And the inner critic does talk in a specific way. So, so when you're experiencing imposter syndrome or when you're hearing your inner critic talk, you will notice that, and I'll refer to her as she because I know mine well as a female. So um, she will talk um, in, a, in a quite aggressive way to you. She will be very black and white. There's no gray area. There's no, oh, you might be all right at this. It's either you're really crap at this or um, you shouldn't do this because you're going to fail. It's very, very clear. She doesn't come with curiosity. There's never a conversation about, gosh, you've never done this before. It might fail. How would it look like if we tried it this way? Or what could we do to mitigate those circumstances? Or what's interesting about this to me? It's never that. There are never curious questions. They're always very closed questions. Um, she, She thinks in absolutes completely so there's none of that curious thinking she's also quite irrational but very persistent so and that's why sometimes we believe her because she is incredibly persistent Um, and she will also make you doubt yourself to the extent that we stop so a lot of I work with a lot of women who want to make significant changes I know the title of one of your podcasts that's coming up and I'm very excited about it (laughs) Um, it resonates with me because when I hit 40 it was almost it was almost like I woke up on my 40th birthday and I thought actually I really don't need to care what other people think about me I really don't um 
and and it is a journey for me and I and I work with women about confidence but I still suffer from the inner critic I still have imposter syndrome hugely I'm having this conversation with you thinking oh my god what are people going to be thinking about this this is ridiculous you know I think she's such a confident assured woman who never suffers from imposter syndrome ever by the sounds of it <laughs> exactly exactly and, and 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 it's a broken record isn't it that this the same story you tell yourself and um i i i have a a friend who much much like you carrie and i stalked her until she became to agree agreed to become my friend um dr Gemma monroe who is a fascinating woman to know and she talks very much about three categories that your inner critic falls into so the stories she tells you are either i'm not worthy so we, we self-sabotage because I'm not worthy of love, therefore I don't deserve to be in this relationship, therefore I'm going to look for the faults, therefore I'm going to pull out of it before I've even gone into it. Or I'm not worthy of that job, so I'm not going to pursue it, I'm not going to fill in the um, application form because I'm just not worthy of it. The other one is the I have nothing of value to offer, so that speaks a bit to the podcast thing we were talking about, you know, why would anyone listen to me? You know, I've got nothing of value to offer. And the third one, and this is the one that really hits a lot of women, I think, is the I am not enough. So you insert whatever your trigger word is there. So I am not funny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not qualified enough. And and that's what we tell ourselves. And that is absolutely the voice of the inner critic. So if you hear yourself, if the voice in your head talks to you in a very undermining way, is very rude or nasty or mean to you is a bit like a broken record and is thinking in absolute no you can't no you won't yes you'll fail those sorts of things that's where you can identify that it's most likely you're in a critic talking to you there and there is a um so we we also hear this particular voice spoken about as the lizard voice um and I'll, i'll explain i'll explain why but there is also a time when your lizard voice will talk to you and you should listen so for example it is the same voice telling you you know if you're walking down the street late at night and you hear footsteps and there's just that Mm. bristly feeling that you just suddenly feel not safe yeah and you have a voice in your head who just says do you know what i think we're just going to cross over the road here and i'm sure everything's fine but we're going to cross over and we're just going to walk up here or we're going to take this path near the street lights or whatever it might be that's that's the same voice talking to you but you can absolutely hear the difference that voice comes from a place of concern and care um but maybe i can talk a bit about where the voice comes from and that will explain why it's the same voice so you have a part of your brain which is known as your reptilian brain because it was around when we were reptiles basically um called the amygdala now anyone who is medically qualified will probably be shaking their heads going what are you talking about that's a really rubbish explanation (laughs) basically you have the amygdala which is associated with fight fight flight or freeze um and that voice that you hear your inner critic and the person who is making you cross the road to keep you safe comes from the same place so your your amygdala is designed to keep you safe. It's designed to keep you small and safe and hidden and obscured from view. Because it can't tell the difference between a saber-toothed tiger looking at you very intently and thinking that looks like a nice supper, <laughs> or being up on stage and having a hundred pairs of eyes looking at you with curious that looks like a nice supper. <laughs> well, yeah, that's possible. But the chances are they're looking at you thinking, 
how exciting, you know, I want to be here, I want to hear what they've got to say, but that's kind of where the stage fright thing comes from and why people don't like public speaking, which in fact, um, I, I don't know how, I'm saying in fact, I don't know how factual this is, but it's an often quoted thing, isn't it? <laughs> but they do say that 93.6% of stats are made up. But it is an often quoted thing that people fear public speaking more than they fear death, which is extraordinary when you think about it. Mm. But your, your inner critic cannot tell the difference between 100 pairs of eyes looking at you thinking, talk to us, we're dying to hear about your subject, or a pair of eyes looking at you thinking, that's for dinner, yum. So your, your brain is trying to keep you small and safe and hidden. It's trying to tell you, don't take risks. It's trying to say, don't do that thing that is outside of your comfort zone mm. because you are exposing yourself to risk. So that's why it tells you nasty things. I was going to say so. Oh, so that's why often you are feeling small because you're, what your inner critic is doing is telling you what it's supposed to do because it hasn't evolved enough to know that in this situation I don't need you to be small and I don't yeah. need you to you know cower away and hide yourself because this is the moment when you can step forward and really shine so really Absolutely. it's doing the job it was designed for it just hasn't evolved in the same way that we've evolved absolutely and that's why situation. some of the ways of yeah exactly and that's why some of the ways of coping with it really recognize that mm. and i was really intrigued um back when we sort of started on this conversation you were talking about the persistence and um the fact that often what your inner critic can tell you is irrational mm. and and i sometimes have those moments where my inner critic speaks and the first time i hear it i think that's so ridiculous how irrational what like why would that be an, even be an issue why wouldn't you know but then is it that persistence that then makes you start to doubt yourself? Because often I do think, I know what I'm telling myself is irrational here. That's not yeah. something I need to be worried about. I should just go for it. But it's almost like the longer I think about it, the more I, I feel like I'm talking myself out of doing something. But maybe that's my inner critic being persistent and talking me out Absolutely. And, and, and so the, the persistence and the irrational can actually sound really rational sometimes. Mm. So, um, and, and that's where the trigger thing comes from. So your inner critic will play to whatever your triggers are. It will tell you a message that it knows is going to make you sit up and listen. And quite often, the really sad thing about when you can't recognize or know to, how to deal with your inner critic is we talk ourselves out of amazing things so the first time you have an idea and you go oh my gosh and you get that prickle of excitement you get that feeling in your tummy which is butterflies and joy and terror and thrill all at the same time and you go oh my gosh could I really yes I could and would it do this yes it would it would be amazing it would be incredible how exciting wonderful and then in the same breath almost you're going ah oh, but if I did this then this might happen and you talk yourself out of it and it's it's so it's designed to sound believable and it's designed to tap in into your insecurities and play into it because exactly that reason it wants to keep you small and safe and hidden mm -hmm. and it's doing its job but it's yes it goes on repeat and then you kind of listen to it definitely and I know we've touched on it a bit already about the why so you've talked about our sort of you know the purpose of the inner critic and it is mm. about keeping us safe in the main um, absolutely but obviously then that has some negative consequences for it but I guess more in terms of kind of experiences and 
I guess this will be different for everybody but kind of why why are they? you mentioned triggers so so you know what is it that triggers that inner critic to come up what's that about for people is it a past experience they've had that's gone wrong is it something that they're scared of for a particular reason it's kind of like why does this inner critic sort of manifest and hold us back from doing all these joyous things that potentially could you know be really positive for us yeah and it it's a really interesting point isn't it because what scares me or makes me gives me my trigger for my inner critic may be very very different than yours so they behave in similar ways but have different triggers so you will find that there are um there are people who talk about it comes from somewhere so um i've just completed my playing big facilitation um skills uh, which is a book that I rave about all the time and I think I've, I've shared it with your community before and um, Tara Moore has written a book called Playing Big um, and she absolutely sort of invites people to lean into where this first occurred so where did it first appear that the message you're in a critic is telling you is something you first heard so um, and, and it can come up usually when you're trying to play big, when you're trying to make a courageous decision or lean out of your comfort zone into that place of growth. Um, and it may be that something that stops you taking a risk is to do with finance. So it may be, you know, you have this brilliant idea that you want to go back to college, for example, and have a shifting career and train to be a nurse or whatever it might be. Um, and your inner critic says, well, yes, you could, but it's a lot of money. And if you fail, you've wasted all of that money. And, you know, your, your family rely on your income at the moment. And it becomes very fixated on money. And that's, mm. that's the trigger for you. And it may be that actually the messages your parents gave you were around money. And that may be um, because you came from a background that didn't have very much money. Or it may be that your parents' attitudes towards money was driven by their parents' attitude, which mm. was perhaps formed during the wars, for example, or something like that. There's usually some sort of trigger to it. Could be a teacher who has um, told you you're no good at something. So um, I, I was told, well, I, I was no good at spelling and that was a, a message that was reinforced for me. So I now absolutely believe I'm no good at spelling. Which Even kind though of... sometimes you check my spelling on things. So oh, yeah, I know it's... that you're not bad at spelling because sometimes it... you go, oh, there's a little typo. It's bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? It's really bizarre. But I have this story in my head that says I am no good at spelling and that and that is there. But if I look into it, I know that's not the case. I know that I can spell, but it was a message that was also reinforced by my mum as well. So um, there's a, a, a family story of um, the fact that I spelt chimney with a B. Um, don't ask me where the B came from, but it's because I used to pronounce chimney as chimbly. And so I thought it had a B in. But that became a family tale of Jane's bad spelling because she spells chimney with a B. And so, so that is always in my head. That's a narrative and a story that's always there. And it will be the same for other people. Um, my particular narrative that I've not unpicked, and I, I should, but I'm slightly fearful of doing it, I suppose. My particular narrative is that I'm crap at my job. And it doesn't matter what job that is. And that could be quite the hive. It could be my day job. It could be any previous jobs I've done. But my inner critic absolutely plays into the crap at your job bit. So that, for me, is why I'm absolutely a huge sufferer of imposter syndrome. And I'm getting better and better at it. But it's also what drives me to do quite the hive. It's also what helps me 
to help other women be able to identify when it is the inner critic because the more tooled up you are to be able to spot it the more you can deal with it and move beyond your inner critic you're, you're never going to get rid of it you're just never going to um, but you can come up with ways techniques tools to get around to manage to live with your inner critic and we might touch on some of those shortly in terms of where people can go for more in terms mm. of how to manage your imposter syndrome. Um, but I guess I was just interested in what you were saying about triggers and quite a lot of the triggers you've described seem to be quite deep rooted. So something maybe that you were told within your family or something that teachers you know all, all the way back and I well, not all the way back because hopefully we're not that old but you know what I mean a long time ago in in our lives when we were children um or teenagers were telling us um but can can there kind of be new triggers that come something new that happens to you that then that sort of becomes something new that you've got this inner critic kind of telling you you can't do is is that the way Absolutely. it works I think I think it can be so I think some of it is social construct so some of it is uh, the, the stories that society tells us about the expectations that people have of us, um, whether that is as a as a group of people. Um, so uh, whether that is to do with your gender or your race or whatever that might be. But also I think that so there is something about the comparison thing as well yeah. so and and this will be old hat to all of your listeners because you know they're communications experts they <laughs> they know this stuff but social media the way it's um set up is designed for us to compare ourselves to other people so you know we put on our best pictures on instagram we put on our our beautiful family stories we put on the stories of our success and our fabulous nights out and the glamorous clothes we wear and we, we, rarely... and we filter them to make them look even better than they were in real life isn't exactly. that just a terrible thing absolutely it's filter so... on so we look better and happier yeah. and glossier and brighter and all the things the sky looks bluer and my face looks yeah. less wrinkly or whatever the thing is but yeah we even kind of overdo it with the, the absolutely and it's like it's like magazines isn't it in terms of who they portray in the covers and the stories they tell and um, it, you know you can't you can't help but compare because those are the stories you see that's what you see that's what's happening um, and and so that is that is where your comparison comes from and that's where it can trigger some real bad feelings um, of imposter syndrome as well because if you see me living my best most glamorous life on the beach with my children which it, I haven't been glamorous at all, but I have been on the beach this week because I've been in, in West Wales. But what you don't see are the, the arguments I have with them or the fact that um, the dinner was burnt or, you know, those are the stuff we don't put on our social media as much. So there's definitely a comparison thing. I do love the accounts that you can find now of people who who are sharing the warts and all um, parenting or warts and all career yes. stuff on their socials because it does feel like a breath of fresh air. So more more of that might help us to um, deal with our inner critic and imposter Absolutely. syndrome. Absolutely right. I think that's and and there is something. So I'm really careful that I don't use filters. So I do stories for my um, quite high of Instagram posts, and I never use filters. Um, I will put exciting, fun pictures and things up on there, but I will never use filters because I think that's just not fair and it's not portraying the story I want to portray through Quiet the Hive either. And you're not um, being authentic. 
No, exactly, exactly. So I think it's really important to continue that authenticity. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really careful about that. And it's one of the sort of values I have. And I do try and not just share all the good stuff as well. I do try and share. So I, I've, you know, I've written a, a, a blog on the fact that I was um, diagnosed with uh, depression and anxiety. And, you know, there's, there's very good reasons why that happened. And I, I don't want to talk about it in terms of it being a and look at me I had anxiety and depression it's more of a uh, you know life life is a well-rounded individual that things happen to good bad otherwise exactly exactly and we all we all fail at things we all get things wrong we all make mistakes and and as I say to my children the really important thing about that is that you learn from it and move on and and that's another thing with our inner critic you know learn from where she stopped you from doing things and use that next time so identify the stories you know you can you can identify the stories that come up for you time and time again what is that repetitive message that she says and do some of the exploratory work around where that comes from as well because that sometimes can be really enlightening and you may not get to the root of it but it can be interesting and it can be you know if if you say well I couldn't wear that item of clothing because I'd look awful well why that's probably because you've seen it portrayed on a mm. impossibly skinny thing because that's not the real them anyway because they've been airbrushed to within an inch of their lives yeah absolutely it's it's um, a really interesting topic and I'm sure we could do a million more podcasts on it to be honest with you because as you're talking I'm thinking about things that you know I suffer from my own imposter syndrome around and thinking about okay I need to do a bit of exploratory work about that because I know for example negotiating things around my day job and you know my my career have always been something that I've suffered you know I don't want to ask for a pay rise even though I can see other people growing their portfolio and and they're getting more resource and they're getting a pay rise and a promotion and I'll grow mine but that's just fine I'll just take it all on and not and not put myself out there and ask for it because they're going to say no anyway or I'm not going to negotiate it right or you know so I can I can already kind of see where there are are things that crop up around um kind of your own inner critic and the triggers that Absolutely. you've got there um, and our, our inner critic does like to latch on to the um the fear of things that may never happen mm. so the they're going to say no anyway or if i did this this would happen and you've got no evidence that that yeah. is the case and actually you know if you've said that other people are getting those then that's an indicator that that's definitely not the case because yeah. it's happening for other people. So absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I guess one of the final things I'd just like to explore around imposter syndrome that might be relevant to um, listeners of the podcast, um, and perhaps we've both got our own experience of it, is around, um, I guess, being small business owners or side hustlers or people that, you know, set up something outside of their day job. and. Um, you obviously are coaching and you're coaching women and empowering women to um, achieve what they want to achieve and be the best versions of themselves and um, the stuff that I do is around communications and supporting people to tell their stories but there are lots of coaches out there and there are lots of communicators out there and I guess one thing that I've suffered from a bit over the last year having set up cat's pajamas is just thinking 
you know, why are people going to pick me? There's there's loads of people who do what I do. There's people yeah. that, I, that do what I do differently or better. So have you had any experience of that in kind of what you're doing with Quiet the Hive? And yeah, I was just interested because I think that that might be a kind of trigger point for people, particularly who, you know, are, are small business owners in the current climate, thinking about how they move forward. So I'm so glad you asked that. I have the best story about that. So there is a movement called Say Yes More, who I adore, which is all about saying yes to adventure, but adventure doesn't have to mean big things. It's just about saying yes. Um, and the founder of that, Dave Cornthwaite, who is just the loveliest man in the world, um, he put on, or well, the, the, the uh, with, with very many Yes Tribers, put on Yesterville last year. And um, it's brilliant. I love it. It's, it's lots of people sharing their stories about adventures that they've had. And one woman, one woman there was talking about setting up her own business as a photographer. And she has become a pet photographer. So she specialists and take specializes in taking pictures of people's pets. And she had a conversation with Dave Cornthwaite when she was starting out, and it and she was talking about this. And, and it was a sort of very off-the-cuff comment as part of her presentation. It really stuck with me. So she said that she was thinking about doing this and she didn't know whether to or not, and she was self you know lots of self-doubt and second thoughts and things and she had a conversation with Dave and she said yeah but everyone's a photographer and everyone's taking photos and everyone's got cameras access to cameras and he said yeah but no one will ever take the same photo that you take and I just thought that really really struck me because there are thousands millions of coaches out there there are thousands of people working um, with particularly with women women leaders around issues of confidence um, so I, I could say the same thing about me and, and the same for Cat's Pyjamas as well. You know, there's loads of communications companies. And, and for the listeners, so slot your own name here, but there are lo loads of organisations doing what you do. No one will do it in the same way as you do. No one will bring exactly the same set of values, perspectives, viewpoints, experience, history to what you're doing. You are the only person in the whole of the world who can offer what you offer because you are the only you and you know I, I think there's something so valuable in when you're doubting yourself just reminding yourself of that so you know I I, I my, my battle against imposter syndrome is is constant but I'm getting so much better at it and you know that hitting 40 was a huge turning point and I've made some significant changes in my life as a result of that I still have moments when I think, why am I doing quite the high? That's just ridiculous. But I know that I'm good at it. I know I have impact and people tell me, you know, I know the stuff I do works because I have seen lives changed because of it. And I know that sounds like a big statement and that's such a hard thing to say, but it is true. It's absolutely true. You know, I, I know people I who vouch for that. <laughs> I, I, I changed something in my life as a result of being part of your um, amazing women leaders group through Quiet in the Hive. So please don't stop doing Quiet in the Hive ever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, that's what you need to do. You need to look around and see the impact you have because you do have impact and you may not realise you have impact. So re reach out to the people you work with, the people who benefit from your services, your repeat clients, reach out to them and say, 
I'd really love to hear what you value about the service I offer. What, what is it about me? What is it about my business that, that drew you to it? They will be able to tell you exactly what it is that you offer that no one else is offering. And that, and that won't be everyone else's cup of tea. You know, you won't suit the needs of everyone, but you don't need to suit the needs of everyone. That's why there are millions of coaches out there. There's space for everybody. There's space for us all. But I absolutely love that point that that's a really powerful thing to think there is only one you. Yeah. You are the only you. So that's what you need to remind yourself when that inner critic is chipping away um, at your confidence. So that's, I think that's a really lovely point and powerful point perhaps to start drawing the conversation to a close. Um, I know we haven't touched on the how to deal with your inner critic, but there are probably many reasons for us not doing that. So um, I know you've got some tools and things in your armory that people can access. So do you want to tell us a little bit about um, how people, if this has resonated with them and they want to find ways to work with and overcome their inner critic how can they do that Jane? Absolutely so I think probably the first thing to mention is that uh, as I'm speaking to you Carrie-Anne and we are co-collaborators um, as part of the women, Awesome Women's Retreat um, we've created Awesome Women Online um, and we're going to do a number of modules to help people and the first one is about reflecting and resetting and I talk very specifically about how you can manage your inner critic within that that piece Um, and I've got some incredible tools and techniques that that people can pull out of the bag there if they wanted something that was a bit more hands-on rather than online we have of course got the awesome women's retreat coming up in October and I will be running masterclasses um, specifically around confidence so not just about how to live with your inner critic but also accessing your inner mentor moving forward with confidence how to grow outside of your comfort zone um, and really say yes to making brave choices um, people can always access one-to-one coaching with me and of course as you've um, kindly put in, a, in a, a good word for I have my amazing women leaders program which is all about helping women to um, help each other to create a great experience a great life a great career um, that is a peer mentoring program so it's not just about having an interaction with me but it's about having a group of women who will have your back potentially for the rest of your life it's an incredibly powerful experience Um, and if people want to are living a bit further afield or want to access something that they can do in their own time then I have my course the compass which is all about helping you reconnect with yourself I think so many women um, put other people's interests ambitions goals ahead of their own and if, like me, you hit a certain age and you realise that that's what you've been doing, then the Compass is absolutely designed to help you identify what your priorities for your life and career are, get organised about pursuing them and really help you lean into discovering what it is that makes you tick where you want to be. So it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole raft of resources, but all of those um, encompass how to live with your inner critic and how to make friends with her. Thank you, Jane. And if people want to touch base with you or access uh, some of those resources, what's the best way to contact you or find out more? Sure. So I'm at www.quietthehive.com and you can follow me on Instagram, which is my main hangout at quiet underscore the underscore hive. And you can find out more about the compass um, by going to courses.quietthehive.com. And then, of course, for anyone who wants one of the 
I think it may only be a couple now of remaining places um, on the Awesome Women's Retreat. Or if you want to find out more about Awesome Women Online, then head to www.awesomewomensretreat.com. Thank you, Jane. I've made you say all of that. We will put it in the show notes as well. But I'd just <laughs> like you. to give you the chance to say it so that you can, you know, generate you just, some traffic towards your website. <laughs> can you just check for spelling errors when you put that in? <laughs> I absolutely will. <laughs> um, thank you so much um, for talking us through what imposter syndrome actually is. I'm sure uh, it's enlightened some of us. It's given some of us an opportunity to think about how we might want to tackle it. Um, it's hopefully made some of us feel better about the fact we're not the only ones that experience it. So Definitely absolutely not. appreciate you giving up your time to talk to us and give that you appear to be the first return guest on Cat's Pyjamas you never know you might be back again due to popular demand Jane I would be overwhelmed <laughs> and delighted anytime you want me here it's a pleasure I always love chatting with you so it's great thank you so much for having me and letting me explore a topic that is um, really close to my heart thank you so much Jane and um, hopefully now uh, Max can have a bit of you time thank him for all of us all of the listeners so thank you to max for uh, allowing me to continue with the podcast recording i will do okay take good care thank you so much jane and i'm sure we'll speak on one of these podcasts again at some point thanks carrie